take your Bibles this morning and turn to, uh, to John chapter 10. We're going to continue our study and looking at uh, seven different statements that Jesus made, starting with the two words, I am. I mean, this morning, as Mark has said to us, we're going to be looking at the, the statement that when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Um, and th this is a big one. This, this, one is, this one is probably one that we're pretty familiar with, but also one that that uh, that is, is it has a lot to it. it. There's a lot to unpack in this statement that Jesus says when he says, I am the, the good shepherd. So this morning when we look at, at John chapter 10, we're going to be reading verses 10 through 18. And I really want to you to consider a few things. Consider what we've been talking about the last few weeks. Consider the fact that, that Jesus has made these statements, right? Jesus is making these I am statements. And he's made them in, in a very specific way. Um, one, to affirm his deity. One, to affirm the fact that he is in fact God. He's saying, hey, I am God when he says, I am. And that takes us back to Exodus. It takes us back to the burning bush when Moses stands before the burning bush. And, and he says, Who's gonna, who, who, who do you say, who is it that is sending me? Um, and God says, I am, has sent you. I am who I am. And so we, we go back to that. And so Jesus is making these claims about his deity. And we, we looked at a few other examples last week. We looked at a few other examples of Jesus making sure that everyone understood exactly who he was claiming to be and that he was claiming to be God. Um, and this is enraging and infuriating the, the religious establishment, right? This is making the religious establishment really mad to the point that they want to kill Jesus. Um, and, and up until this point, we've seen that, that John is reporting for us the fact that, that Jesus has been able to evade that. Jesus is evading that because his time has not yet come. Um, because the fullness of time is not yet upon uh, Jesus and his ministry is not, is not yet done. But even as we this morning are looking towards, at the end of this month, we're looking towards Resurrection Sunday. We're looking towards Easter. We recognize that there will be a day where, where, where Jesus lays down his life. And even in this passage this morning, as we're looking at it, we're going to see that nobody takes that life from him. But he gives it up willingly. Um, and so as we move towards Resurrection Sunday, as we move towards Easter, we have this idea and this trajectory in mind that, that while Jesus is, is sort of like is poking and prodding at some of these things and to the point where the religious leaders are calling him a blasphemer, uh, we recognize that that all is essential, that, that all is important, that understanding exactly who Jesus is, his person, um, is going to lead us into the understanding of exactly what he does in the work that he performs on the cross. So this morning, uh, this is week four, um, we've explored three so far, three statements that Jesus made in, in, in this book. One, I am the bread of life. Two, I am the light of the world. And last week we looked at where Jesus said, I am the door. And, and one big thing that I want to communicate to you this morning, one big thing that I just want to say out of the gate, is we recognize that, that these are statements that, where Jesus is saying that, he, that there is something that he's doing, something that he's fulfilling, something that he's acting on. But that in a lot of sense, we look at those things and say, I am the door. It's like, I, he's the only way to the Father. He's the only way to be set apart. But at the same time, but at the same time, we recognize that that's contained within his person. That's something very different. If I say I am a I am a custodian, I'm a custodian at a bank, and I say if I am a custodian, actually they call me maintenance engineer, so I'm an engineer. But um, but if if I say I'm a, I'm a custodian, most of my work is custodial. 
Um, if I say I'm a custodian, that, that defines what I do, not necessarily who I am. It's not necessarily an identity statement. It, but and, and it, there's an outworking then. So I go and I mop the floor and I, I, I vacuum the floor and I you know wash the windows and I do all of these things. That doesn't necessarily wrap up in my identity. What it does is it communicates what I do. And but when we come to these statements, what John is reporting Jesus saying is, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. And he's saying that is who I am. And so the, at the, the, the very ground level of what is being stated is the person and work of Jesus Christ is what's accomplishing these things that he's saying that he's accomplishing. The, the things that he's saying are being fulfilled throughout the trajectory of Scripture in him are fulfilled in his very person, not just in what he does. That's a big distinction. We have to make the distinction when we look at these, when we look at these, uh, these statements that Jesus made. And so this morning as we look at Jesus as the good shepherd, um, we have to remember these, uh, the two words, right, that Jesus is making the I am, these deity claims. But then this morning, even as we look at that, um, we, we, we recognize that, um, I hope you see that there are some patterns. If you've been with us for at least even one of these weeks so far, I, I hope that you see that some of these patterns are developing, right? So um, some, of these, some of these patterns based on what Jesus is saying, but then also like the way that we're approaching how Jesus is talking about these things. So far, um, we, we've sort of, we've, we've latched onto some of these big ideas. And if you're involved in a community group, you've seen those big ideas like in a community group discussion guides, and you've talked about these. But I hope that you see that, that we're forming these all in the same sort of way. And we're starting out like this. Jesus' proclamation that he is the bread of life. Jesus' proclamation that he is the light of the world. Jesus' proclamation that he is the door. Jesus' proclamation that he is the good shepherd. Indicate that he is God. And, and then we have a, a contrarian phrase, right? Because Jesus is challenging something in the current climate. He's challenging something. And then we have uh, how Jesus addresses that particularly. So this morning for us... This is the big idea. Jesus' proclamation that he is the good shepherd indicates that he is God, and unlike the thief who comes to kill, steal, and destroy, is the, the one who comes to give abundance. Let me read that again, because I sort of like combined steal and kill into one word, and that just didn't work. So here we go. Jesus' proclamation that he is the good shepherd indicates that he is God, and unlike the thief who comes to steal, kill and destroy is the one who comes to give abundant life. And we see that even as we look at verse 10. So let's read this text together. Think about that statement that I just made. Um, let's read this text together and then we're going to dive in. This is John chapter 10, beginning in verse 10, and we'll read through verse 18. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. 
I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, my fa the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. So we see a lot going on in this text. Um, but I think what, what we need to do when we approach this text, I think, I think our natural inclination is to go inward, like to dive inward and to start thinking about the implications for us. Because we see sheep a lot, so we, we're like, okay, we're the sheep. So what does that mean? What does that mean for me? How do I, but, but what, what, what Jesus is communicating here, what John is recording Jesus saying here is some very specific and pointed things about who he is and what's contained within his being. Just as we've discovered and discussed all of these other statements, this is telling us very, something very specifically, or something very specific about who Jesus is in order that we might specifically derive some understanding and implications for our own life. So, uh, there are just three things that I want to talk about. I'm actually going to combine the first two. Um, three things. One, Jesus has an intimate knowledge of his sheep. He has an intimate knowledge of his sheep. Two, Jesus provides impenetrable protection for his sheep. And then three, Jesus lays down his life for his sheep. And then, so we're going to look at each of these and sort of derive what kind of implications sort of flow out of these understandings. So these first two I'm going to combine together. So, so we're going to talk about these two first. Jesus has an intimate knowledge of his sheep and provides impenetrable protection for his sheep. And this is just kind of flow one into the other and, and we'll, we'll, you'll, you'll see how this is all working. Okay. Um, so just, just by way of... <laughs> Just by way of thinking about the knowledge, the intimate knowledge that Jesus has of the sheep, that Jesus has of us, if we're called by Christ, if we are, if we have believed, if we have put our trust and our faith, we've turned from our sin, and we have um, we have trusted Jesus, um, we then we are considered His sheep. Just as we discussed what it meant to enter through the door last week, what that what that looks like, that we're entering through the door. Jesus is the door. We're set apart in Him and by Him alone. Right. Um, so, so if we enter through the door, then we are his sheep. Um, so, so our youngest Tev, our youngest Tev, he is, um, he's almost 18 months old. He'll be 18 months in just a few days. Um, and he just started to talk, and he started to talk pretty well, actually, just out of the gate. It just kind of, like, happened, and all of a sudden he had a relatively large vocabulary. But when I say vocabulary, I mean a, uh, a set of, a set of, normally indistinct sort of like blabberings that mom and dad understand, right? So, uh, so, and sometimes, sometimes those things don't even like make sense to us, Rebecca, and I suppose they don't even make sense to us. Sometimes, um, I turn to Abel, I even did it this morning, I, I turn to Abel and say, what does Tev say? Because Abel knows Tev intimately. Abel knows, <laughs> he knows him really well. They, they play together all day, they're together, they're like side by side, they're attached at the hip. They, they love each other, they're, they're, they're growing up together, it's really great. So, um, one day, like last week, uh, Tev was like, he was sitting in his high chair and he was saying he wanted something and he just kept saying it over and over and over again. I was like, bro, I do not know what you're talking about. And I looked at Abel and I said, Abel, what is he saying? Because I, I, you know, I made suggestions, like, do you want a cracker? Do you want a drink? Do you want to play? And he was like, no, no, no. And then, and then I looked at Tev or I looked at Abel and I said, Abel, what is Tev saying? And he said, 
Ted wants m &Ms. <laughs> and, I, and I said, Ted, you can't have m &Ms. And then, and they said, and I, well, first I said, do you want m &Ms? Because I was like, is that what he really wants? That doesn't sound anything like m &Ms. And, and, and Abel said, or Ted said, uh-huh. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, what I need to do is, and I was like, Ted, you can't have m &Ms, man. Like, you've you got to eat your beef or whatever. Well, you can't eat beef. No, you can't eat. Okay, so you don't, you got to eat what's in front of you right now. But even this morning, too, I asked Abel the same question, and this is, this is not necessarily tying to my point, but I asked, Tev was saying something over and over again, and I said, Abel, what is Tev saying? And he said, he's saying blah, 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 blah. He said that. And I was like, oh, thank you. That was helpful. <laughs> but, but, but what's going on here is, is, like, we have an intimate knowledge. We know, like, even Mark and Julia, like, Tev is saying something, and, and in a lot of instances, you don't know what he's saying, but we do, because we're his parents, because we intimately know him in, in a special and unique way, and the same thing with Abel. And this is kind of what's going on here, right? Um, in the, it's the same way Jesus has this intimate knowledge of his sheep, and so, so we as people come to, to come to Jesus as those who are fully known, those who, who, who even... Jesus knows us, the Good Shepherd knows us, even in a way that we are unable to communicate. So, so just to, to, to draw that illustration out a little bit farther, like me, as his dad, I cannot say, oh yeah, you can just ignore your green beans and here's some M&Ms. Um, he, he knows, Jesus knows, I know as Ad, or as Teb's father, I know exactly what Teb needs in that moment, maybe not exactly, but, but I have a better understanding of what he needs than what he right? Because you're huge, you see M&Ms all the time, and, and never eat green beans. In the same way, Jesus knows us intimately as the Good Shepherd. As the Good Shepherd, he intimately knows us in a way that is, that is so personal, so unique. He is our creator. We are his creation, and so he has just an overwhelmingly intimate understanding of who we are. Even in the way then that he sets us apart, we know who God is because of what Jesus has done for us and because he has an intimate knowledge of us. So, um, and, and look, okay, so look at verse 12 then. So we, we talked about, okay, so there's like this contrast here that Jesus gives. It's really helpful. So in verse 11 he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. But then verse 12 he's going to give us the contrast. Like who, who, who's the other, the, what's the other angle here? He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming, and he leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. So this wolf comes around, and, and the hired hand deserts the sheep, and, and he doesn't even make an attempt. He's not even making an attempt to, to protect the sheep. He's, he's running off. He sees, it, he sees this wolf coming from a long ways away. And he, and he runs off. Jesus, on the other hand, this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus, on the other hand, lays down his life for the sheep. He is willing to go to the ultimate extreme. He is, he is willing to go to the ultimate extreme to lay down his life for those who he has called his own. He sees this wolf coming, and, and he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna bust that wolf in the chops, even to the point that he would die. Look at, look at verse 14 with me. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Jesus knows us intimately and personally, and this is what Jesus is saying when he says, I am the good shepherd. One of the things that he says when, he's, when, he, when, he, when he says, I am the good shepherd. 
And so, and, and so, okay, so we have this idea, right? Jesus intimately knows us, and then it sort of begins to morph, like, Jesus is, what, he, what he's saying begins to morph into this understanding of the fact that he's going to, because he knows his sheep, he's going to provide an in, impenetrable protection for his sheep. Um, when we're talking about the wolf, okay, so, so, so obviously the, the wolf then, and Jesus is, Jesus is like, I'm going to take out this wolf right now. But I think it's important for us to understand exactly what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about the wolf. Um, because I think what our tendency to do is when we go to this text, and my initial inclination when we looked at when I was doing um, preparation for this this morning, or, or throughout the week for this morning, um, I think our, my initial inclination is to say, okay, it's like the wolf is like this hardship that we face in our lives. The wolf is like this, this, this thing, like the day-to-day -day struggles we but I don't think that's what's going on here. This is not just day-to-day -day problems. Um, and I think many of us as Christians have bought into the lie that our lives are going to look significantly different, just from like a, a difficulty and hardship standpoint, when we recognize that, or when we've been called, when we, when we repent and put our trust and faith in Jesus, when we move towards, uh, move towards uh, uh, Jesus and, and pursue him and obey all that he commands us because of what he's done for us, I think that we bought in this line that this lie that their lives are going to look significantly different from just like a suffering standpoint. Um, this this is this is what's commonly referred to as prosperity gospel, right? You put your you put your trust and you have faith and you put it in Jesus, and you recognize that now that my life is going to represent or be part of or look look a whole lot different in the way that that it plays itself out. So no longer am I going to get sick. No longer am I going to have any kind of hardship come my way. No longer am I going to get fired or demoted at work. No longer am I going to be struggling to make ends meet. That, that is, that is anti-gospel. That is never what Jesus says. He says, in this life, you're going to have troubles. And we're going to talk about this in a minute. In this life, you're going to have troubles. But take heart, I've overcome the world. So... Um, even as we're looking, uh, even as we're looking at this text, uh, there are there are whole movements, right, that claim that if you have enough faith or do some stuff, you can avoid the suffering here on earth. And that that is that's simply wrong. Like that's simply wrong. The wolves are still coming. Like Jesus isn't saying, "Oh, I'm the good shepherd," and because of that, like no wolf is going to come within a hundred yards. The wolf is still coming. It's still a present reality. Again, John 16, 33 is that text that I just referred to. When Jesus is speaking to his disciples, in this world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. So what is the wolf then? What, what are we looking at here? Uh, the wolves are sin, Satan, and the world. These are, these are our true opposition. These are the things that are coming, that are coming after us that we have to be vigilant against and, and understand that Jesus is providing an unprecedented amount and an impenetrable protection for us. The enemies that actually threaten us. These are the enemies that actually threaten us. But Jesus knows his sheep and, and he's actively protecting us from these elements. And I've, okay, so I heard this illustration and, and so because the internet, everything on it is true, I went to, to double check it. That's a joke. Um, it's not. Um, but so I just I just did a quick Google search and I got a lot of like opposing viewpoints. 
Um, but I think ultimately that the principle underneath this idea lies true. So, so the idea is that if you're a shepherd and you have a flock of sheep and you have one that continues to like stray off and just go way far away and, and you have to run after a baby, what you do is you break that sheep's leg, right? You break one of its legs and then you carry it until it heals. And then after that traumatic event, the, sh the sheep would stay close. Now, a bunch of people were like, that is by no means the way that this works. Like, no shepherd would ever do that. So I looked, I, d I dug a little bit deeper, and, and I think that there's a misunderstanding somewhere. Who knows? I'm not a shepherd. Anyone a shepherd? No. Okay. So they, they said, what's actually going on here is that, that, the, that the shepherd breaks the leg of the sheep. And, and if you think I said something different there, I did. I didn't. I said something the same. It was, it's the same but different, right? So, so break, B-R-A-K-E, like break your car. So they like attach a weight to the leg of the sheep, and then the sheep couldn't like get away quick enough. And it was like as soon as you saw them like sneaking away, you were to grab them because they were slow because their leg was braked, braked. Um, and so, and so but, but the idea that lies behind this is the same. One is just a little less traumatic, right? One is just a little less traumatic. The idea is that, that something is happening, something is allowed to maybe persist in order that the, the sheep might not stray. Uh, so so, so the, the, whatever the illustration is, but since everything you find uh, in, in, this, in this incident, I, I think that the principle that, that lies behind it is the same, and I said that, but, but the, the shepherd intentionally is just hindering the sheep from wandering off and doing I think that's what lies behind this understanding. That, that the shepherd is, is intentionally hindering the sheep um, from just wandering off to do whatever it wants. And, and so this is a biblical concept. And so if when we look at, when we see Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd, we immediately think about the 23rd Psalm, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then the very next phrase, the very next stanza there says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. That, that behind that term makes lies a certain amount of weight, lies a certain amount of force. This is not just a, hey, sheep, why don't you chill here for a little bit? That's not what he's saying. It's not just like, hey, why don't you just hang out? This is like a literal, like, lay down. He's like saying, lay down. Because we have the propensity to, to run towards something else. And sheep have this idea. Sheep have this, this deal going on, right? Where they, where they, if they find a green pasture, they'll be like, they'll like eat, and they'll eat, and they'll eat, and then all the grass is gone, and they'll just be like, well, what are we doing now? And they'll just hang out, and they won't go anywhere. So, so he's leading us to something and telling us to, you know, stay here, lay down. There's a, there's an active level of force here. Um, and so sometimes, uh, so, so, so I think what, what, what's lying behind this understanding, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and when he's calling the, the people, uh, when he's calling us his sheep, what he's saying very specifically to us is that sometimes difficulties are allowed to providentially persist in our lives, Sometimes difficulties are allowed to just to linger a little bit, right? Things get hard. These day-to-day -day problems that we have, things get hard, and they're allowed to persist 
in order that we might be protected from the wolves. Does that make sense? If, if the, these things, these day-to-day -day problems, this is not, that's why I'm saying well, we're, not, we're not being protected from these day-to-day -day problems. Suffering exists in this world. You will experience tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. What is far more threatening are, are the, the wolves' sin, Satan, and the world. The things that, that are actively opposing us, that are actively in opposition to, uh, to our obedience and fulfillment in Christ. Jesus is, a, again, we've talked about these things. Jesus is addressing these even as he makes all of these statements. So when he says, I am the bread of life, Jesus is saying, I am soul satisfying in a way that nothing else can be. He's like, you might seek satisfaction in something else, but you're not going to find it in anything but me. He says, I am the light of the world. The world is confusing. Your day-to-day -day life is confusing. Ascribing understanding, ascribing a, 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 a way of looking at your world is confusing outside of me. I bring understanding. And even last week, would we say, there are, there are so many doors that are offered. And when the religious leaders were offering these doors to people, they were saying, uh, there, there's a, here's a door to set apartness, but you cannot be set apart in anything but Jesus. Jesus is challenging these popular notions. He's saying, what you can't do is just keep the law and be set apart. What you can't be, do is just be born a Jew and be set apart. What you have to do is enter through me. And so, in the same way, Jesus is saying, this is, you, are, you must abide now. You must come and you must find uh, your protection. You must find your knownness in, in me and in me alone. So we see, just to wrap this up, that we see that Jesus intimately knows us. One, because he created us. Uh, but two, because he has called us his sheep. Um, and then that he provides impenetrable protection for his sheep. When sin, Satan, and the world come, he protects us from those things. Even just look down uh, a few verses here. It's not part of our text. But in verses 27 and 28, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me, and I give eternal life to them. And they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Like that, that is the ultimate statement of protection. There is nothing more that we can hope for. We, if we are known and we are protected by Jesus, then, so, so, so my critical mind goes then to, okay, so like how can we be guaranteed of this? How can this, how can this actually be um, something that, that I can look to, to Jesus for and, and recognize it's, it's true? And I think it's okay to ask that question. That, that's a good question. But we also have to recognize that Jesus addresses that very question in this text. And he does it in verse 10. And then he does it repeatedly. And he does it throughout the rest of the Gospel of John. Look at verse 10 again. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And then verse 11, which is actually what I was referring to. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
And then, importantly, moving forward to uh, verse 16. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will be become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have the authority to uh, lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This is the commandment I received from my Father. So, so finally, as we're looking at Jesus as the Good Shepherd, uh, finally Jesus lays down his life for his sheep. And this is, this is answering the question. It was like, how can I trust that, how can I trust that there is uh, impenetrable protection? How can I trust that Jesus knows me intimately? How can I trust that that's true? And it lies within this understanding that Jesus lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus' intimate knowledge and the ability to protect is predicated upon his willingness to lay it down and then subsequently, this is the big one, subsequently to take it back up again. There isn't anyone in this room, there isn't anyone in this city, there isn't anyone in this state, there isn't anyone in this country that can die and come back to life as Jesus did it. Jesus willingly giving up his life, like we said, uh, like I said at the outset, there, there were all these deity claims that Jesus was making, right? And he was, he was, uh, then he was sort of like escaping, was like Jesus was walking through their midst, or like they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus made his way out. Because the fullness of time had not come yet for him, because Jesus recognizes that he gives his life of his own initiative, and not someone who takes, no one takes it from him directly. He's laying it down and he can take it back up again. This is the authority that Jesus has to even take back his, uh, the authority that Jesus has to even take back up his life indicates the ability to provide that impenetrable protection. It indicates that, that the ability that he has to know us fully because only God can do that. Um, if, again, look at, look at verses 27 and 28. This is just so important for us in our understanding here. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Why is that possible? Because Jesus lays down his life for his sheep and then defeats sin and death and is raised on the third day. Even as we're moving towards resurrection Sunday. So, so maybe you're here this morning and you feel exposed. Like, this is, this is something that I struggle with just as, as an individual. Like, I just, I just feel exposed so much. Like, I feel like I'm, I'm not, I'm not protected. Maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe that's something that you're struggling with. Maybe, maybe you're struggling to, to, to believe the gospel daily. Maybe you're, maybe you're feeling condemned. I know that's, like, okay, so, so I struggle even every morning. I, like, wake up and I'm just like, I, I just, I feel, I feel condemned. I feel condemned because of the things that I have done. And I'm not certain that I believe that, that, that at, 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 at my very core that I am someone that can be loved. Like, like loved in an intimate way. Like the way that Jesus is, is suggesting that we can be when he says that I am the good shepherd. Maybe we don't feel assured. Maybe, maybe we look at verses 27 and 28 in John chapter 10 and we say, it's like, how is that even possible? Um, and remember what John is writing this book for. We've talked about this a couple times. 
Remember what John is writing in this book for? He says it in, in, uh, in, in, right at the end of, of the book. He says that he's writing this book so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that we might have eternal life. Um, he wants us to experience the life-giving, this sheep-shepherd relationship. And he wants us to, to hear that Jesus is the good shepherd, that Jesus has the authority to lay down his life, and not only that, but to take it back up again. And that's assurance. That's where we, we, we find that we are no longer condemned. That's where we look when we say that we've been struggling to believe the gospel daily. That's where we look when we've been dealing with, with sin in our lives. We look to the understanding that Jesus has the authority to lay down his life and to take it back up again. And the resurrection is, is so essential here, right? So even Paul in, in 1 Corinthians, like towards the end of that, that, that letter, towards the end of that, in, in chapter 15, he's talking about the, the resurrection. He says, it's like if we as Christians don't believe that the resurrection is something that actually happened, like historically and physically, it's like, then we're the dumbest people in the world. It's like, we, we're, we are taking everything and we're putting our hope and our trust and our faith, not only in the resurrection of Jesus, like a physical bodily resurrection of Jesus, but then that we as well will be, will be raised in the last day like him. How can Jesus, if he's unable to defeat sin and death, protect, guide, and assure us that we'll be raised? But the fact of the matter is that he did defeat death. He did defeat sin. And we can find total and unwavering assurance that we have life in him. And this is what Jesus is talking about when he says, I am the good shepherd. There is protection. There is assurance. There is knownness. And guys, the proclamation that Jesus is the good shepherd demonstrates his love for his sheep. And this is where it gets hard. This is where it gets hard because we as people think to ourselves like regularly, like how can we be loved in a way that the Jesus is saying that he loves us? In a few chapters in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 15, in verse 13, he says, Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. And right before he says that, even in verse 12, he commands his disciples to love one another just as he has loved them. Jesus laid down his life for his sheep, and we can be sure that he knows us. We can be sure that he will protect us, and there is no greater act of love. There's no greater act of love. And this is hard because we have to let this work on us. We have to let this work on our hearts. That Jesus, as the good shepherd, the one who protects us, the one who knows us, died for us. He died for us. And then the, the understanding that he protects us and he knows us finds its authority, finds its ultimate fulfillment, finds, its, finds the way that it works itself out in the fact that Jesus is raised. That Jesus is raised to life because he has taken, it, had taken back up his life. So in conclusion this morning, let's just, let's just think about this a little bit. In conclusion this morning, what's, what's our takeaway from our understanding that Jesus is the good shepherd? Let, let's, let's consider that. Um, Jesus' willingness to lay down his life for his sheep tells us, one, that he knows us intimately. And verse 14, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. 
his willingness to lay down his life for his sheep tells us that he protects us and that he deals with the wolves. He deals with sin, Satan, and the world. He has dealt with them. Um, in verse 28 of John chapter 10, I, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Unprecedented, unpenetrable protection. And then ultimately that he loves us. Again, we just read John chapter 15, verse 13. No greater, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. So just in the same way as we've looked in previous weeks, how, how Jesus is challenging these popular notions in society of satisfaction, of set-apartness, of, um, of confusion and understanding, like these popular notions of how those things can actually be addressed. Jesus is saying, I can address those things in my person. But some of us are looking to be known in places where we simply can't be known. I think of, okay, so um, maybe, maybe you have experienced this, maybe this is, maybe this is a, an indictment on me, but I, I think that, I think most marriage relationships experience this at some point, okay, alright, are you ready? Okay, um, most marriage relationships, relationships experience this at some point, it's like, you've known me this long and you still don't get this? <laughs> right? No one's ever felt that. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, you've known me this long, but you still don't get it. So we, we, when we get married, we have to understand. We have a relationship with our spouse. We have to understand that even though we're going to spend years and years and decades with this person, complete and full and intimate knownness is not possible. It's just not. And yet... In, in this, in this statement when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, what he is saying is that I know you perfectly. Again, we, we're relational creatures, right? We're relationship. We're made for relationship because we're created in God's image. We're created in God's image and we long to know and be known. And Jesus offered and offers us this Knownness. He he is God, and He created us. A relationship is restored with Him. That relationship that is broken in with in sin in the garden with Adam. When Adam sinned, that was broken, and we, when we were born, we were conceived into sin. We are sinners by nature and sinners by choice, and that breaks relationship with the Holy God. But in Christ, we can have that relationship restored with Him. We are made for that relationship, and God has made a way for that relationship to be restored. He knows us more intimately than we can ever hope to know here on earth. And even in our marriage relationships, in our relationships with our parents, or whatever relationship that you can think of, God in Jesus Christ knows you more. That is the knownness that is communicated to us when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And some, some of you this morning are looking for protection. So we're looking for that knownness, and Jesus is addressing that. Some of us are looking for that protection, right? So we're going we're gonna to install a home security system. I'm not saying home security systems are bad. Like home security systems are helpful. 
It, it, might be a, it might be a way in which stewardship is played out in our lives. If we're protecting, we're stewarding properly, properly what God has given to us. But at the same time, some of us are looking for protection in a way that it can't be offered fully through a home security system. Or through a, a retirement account. Or through, I don't know, you name it. Through your education. Through, through pursuing something. It's like through betterment in your career. Like we're, we're a, we are chasing something. We're chasing a protection that, that isn't offered to us outside of Christ. And some of us this morning, this is the one that I struggle with, and this is this is why I wrote this here. Some of you this morning, this is why this is why why my thoughts are that this is this is the culmination of this morning. Some of this morning, uh, some of us this morning are wondering how a holy God could love something that's so unlovely. Some of us are wondering this morning how a holy God could love something that's so unlovely. And the fact of the matter is what Jesus communicates here when, he's, when he says, I am the good shepherd. And what he's communicated to us even in these past few weeks and these other statements that he's made and what he's going to continue to communicate and what his whole world, his whole, his whole word is geared towards is that God doesn't love you because of something you do. Because God, or God doesn't love you because of who you are. God loves you because of who He is and what He has done for you. Amen. You're not the actor, you're the acted upon. If you have professed Christ, then you are His sheep. And everything that is promised here in this text and in all of God's word is for you. You hear his voice and you know him. And he knows you. God has made you lovely. When you ask that question, how could a holy God love something that is so unlovely? You ask that question, the answer is unequivocally from this text. God has made you lovely because he has set his love upon you. So this week as you go, and as you think about the things that you do, what you say to your wife, what you say to your kids, what you say to your peers, how you act, and as you meditate on those things, recognize that none of those things, whether good or bad, can ever deter God's love for you because of what he has done has nothing to do with what you have done. This is grace. God has made you lovely because he has set his love on you. Um, the, uh, just in conclusion, I want to I give you a poem. Um, I'm not giving you a poem. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> This is a poem by William Blake from his collection of poems, um, Songs of Innocence and Experience. Um, uh, yeah, I, I won't dive into that because you don't care. But the, 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 understanding, so the understanding of this poem flows out of what Jesus is saying in John chapter 10. Let me read this for you. We'll pray and we'll worship in song. Little lamb, who made thee? 
dost thou know who made thee? Give thee life, and bid thee feed by the stream and o'er the mead. Gave thee clothing of delight, softest, softest clothing will be bright. Gave thee such a tender voice, made all the veils rejoice. Little lamb, who made thee? Dost thou know who made thee? Little lamb, I'll tell thee. Little lamb, I'll tell thee. He is called by thy name, for he calls himself a lamb. He is meek and he is mild. He became a little child. I a child and thou a lamb. We are called by his name. Little lamb, God bless thee. Little lamb, God bless thee. Let's pray.